I'm Asan, and welcome to another 9320 season review special. Today it's Stefan's turn, and joining me to grill him afterwards is Mr. Howard Hawking. Welcome, Stefan, first. How are you? Good, good. How are you doing? I'm very good. All the transfer news is getting me all giddy. Don't normally get <laughs> this excited this early in June. Normally takes until sort of early July before you really feel transfer yeah. momentum, but really feeling can't it. can't think what it is about uh, eight to nine, 40 million plus players that gets you excited. I can't, <laughs> can't think what, why. Yeah, really? I can't think why either. Howard, how are you? I'm fine, thank you. Yeah, is the, is all the transfer tittle-tattle, was it getting you excited as well? Uh, yeah, only when they sign. I just can't, I really can't be bothered reading all the... I mean, if you believe everything we read now, it used to get me excited, you know, when we were rubbish because uh, we were so desperate. But there's so many rumours now. I just, I don't believe any. I mean, just look at that Van Dyke stuff. We were signing him a week ago and Liverpool were definitely signing him. Now he's probably staying where he is or we might be signing him again. Or he might be going to Chelsea. And it's like, oh, I can't be arsed with all of this. So when they sign, yeah, when you know it's done. I mean, the silver we knew on the day, didn't we? It was happening. Yeah. Uh, so I got pretty excited that day because I just I wanted to hear it announced, but I was really excited. But until until you know they're at the ground, yeah, I just let it wash over me. To be do you honest, not enjoy so. the, do you not enjoy the chase as much as you you enjoy the? Uh, the yeah, signing? but the thing is, I get excited about Mendy, and then he goes and signs for someone else. <laughs> I don't want to be let down. It's like. Well, listen. I've got, a, I've got, a, I've got a tip for you. If you listen to the um, transfer special podcast that I'm putting out later this afternoon, there's a Mendy update, and it's right. what might make you happy. I shall wait then. I'm going to be <laughs> willpower. Excellent. <laughs> well, you kind right. of let the. I think. Yeah, I think. Well, obviously, you know more than me, so there's no point me commenting. I still think we're getting, but I shall look forward to that later. Anyway. Excellent. All right. Well, listen. Um, Without further ado, Stefan, please take away your season review. Yeah, it's a good starting point, actually, because I think my, my season review starts with last summer. And I think it was, uh, I don't go quite as far as Damo about the season as a whole. Uh, but I think last summer was a, was a shambles. Uh, I think they clearly had a list of players they wanted to get, but I don't think they were prepared enough. Uh, I don't think that they negotiated particularly well, even on the players that they got. So there's no point in holding out on stones until August to save yourself, I don't know, at best five million quid. It's just a pointless exercise. So it left us in a position where when we got to the end of the window, uh, I think the season was set uh, for failure because overall, because the squad wasn't good enough. And just going through some of that, I think when you look back to that Arsenal preseason friendly, I don't think we had a back five. Uh, and I don't think you can go into a season without a back five. I think that's, you know, actually ridiculous. The fullback situation was clearly unacceptable. Um, we didn't need any more time to assess that, that set of fullbacks. We've seen them over uh, four, five, six years, some of these players. They weren't going to get through a season as a group. Uh, it was going to be a problem. Uh, we thought we might have got away with it, but actually the reality is uh, the Premier League is too competitive for that. And uh, it was a big problem. Uh, I don't think we bought particularly well in other areas of the field. 
So if you look at the options that we left ourselves uh, up front, yes, of course, we got uh, Jesus, but we knew that he wasn't going to be joining until uh, January. Uh, and we also knew that there were going to be issues around uh, ownership uh, and around uh, fitness, given that he played um, the Brazilian season. So we left ourselves short there uh, when we were going to be coming into a critical period around October, November. So I think we got it very badly wrong last summer. And I think you're seeing an acceptance of that in the way that they're dealing with this summer. So I think the number of players they're looking at, the standard of players they're looking at, and the timing of those signings all point to an acceptance that last season that looked like a shambles from the outside, in my view. And we had a bit of a row about it, I remember, last summer. Um, I was a little harsher than you were, but I thought it was a shambles. And, and frankly, it turned out to be a shambles. Now, you will say, uh, or you may say, that uh, Jesus uh, kind of set that straight. Um, but I think uh, we did have uh, what um, that transitional season that, that you know, Damo says doesn't exist. Uh, it was a transitional season uh, and a wasted transitional season. So uh, that's my starting point. I'm hoping that what we're hearing so far uh, about this summer and the speed of the dealings uh, means that we won't have the same problem, that the overall standard is, uh, is much higher than we've been approaching in previous pre-seasons over the last few years. So not just one or two top-tier players, but actually three, four, maybe even five uh, and clearly, when you sign five top-class players, it changes your season. It changes the expectations around uh, around the place. So they will still have to deal with that. So I think uh, that window left a squad uh, of far too many Manuel Pellegrini players uh, with all the flaws that we knew about, both in terms of ability, but also in terms of mentality. And then on top of that, we created two, uh, what I would call, uh, unnecessary problems. Uh, and this will be uh, partly controversial because I don't think everybody agrees with me about uh, Joe Hart. Uh, well, actually, people don't agree with me about the other one either. But Joe Hart, I think, was so poorly executed as to be embarrassing. Um, a goalkeeper is an absolutely critical position. Uh, I can understand a desire to upgrade the goalkeeper. I don't have a problem with that. But you don't do it at the end of the summer. Uh, if you haven't got it sorted by uh, the time the players come back from pre-season, then you don't approach it in the way that they did. I would have had no problem signing Bravo, who obviously underperformed, and I think Marty puts it very well in his podcast with you, um, that they couldn't have expected or anticipated Bravo to have been so poor, and I accept that. But there's no need for Hart to, to have left. It could have been managed in a different way. Uh, other things that could have been done in terms of the situation with Hart, in terms of playing style, uh, we could have got uh, Valdez in last year to work with him, to work with him on a more Pep style. We've known Pep was coming for a very long time, and I think there was more work that could have been done to improve Hart. I would not have been rushing the situation. It left us on the back foot, and it left Hart, frankly, also with a problem himself in terms of confidence, uh, options uh, and creates a situation that he finds himself in now where he's had a mediocre mixed season 
and we're trying to get a fee that, you know, given the way that we sell players, I'm not sure we're going to achieve. So in my opinion, we screwed it up. Uh, it goes back to, again, the overall summer situation. But I think the difference with that one, it, it was a it was a battle that we didn't need to enter into uh, with the timing that I don't think was was optimal for the for the club actually or the or the player or or the player coming in. So for Bravo to come in at the stage that he did, I don't think helps him. If you're if you're a uh, you're coming in and your first game is a derby against United, I think that's a very difficult situation when the season's already started. The second one uh, is my uh, my favourite topic, Sergio Aguero. Uh, similar in some respects to the Hart situation, in that it was a battle picked by the manager. In my view, um, I don't believe anybody that thinks that there was no issue. Uh, the things that went on during the season, the meetings, the uh, briefings to the press, they were not normal. Um, there was some issue uh, between the two of them. Um, now. Looking at it positively, um, I, I think we have to say both parties reacted in the right way. So I think Sergio reacted in the right way from a uh, performance, effort, uh, focus. I think we were helped massively by the injury uh, to Jesus. Had that not happened, who knows where we'd be right now. Uh, but in the, in the circumstances, it did happen. And I think it's turned out very well. Um, but I don't think that it was handled in the right way uh, to the point where it needed to become uh, a public spectacle. Um, so that's on squad and squad building. Uh, definitely the key focus for me of the season and the disappointments that came from it. I think in that context, third was about right in terms of where we would finish. Um, and actually, in many ways, is not a disastrous season. I wouldn't say it was a good season, but, uh, but likewise... I think to say that it was some kind of uh, disaster is, is overplaying it, yeah, especially in a league that's as competitive as the Premier League. Going on from there, um, I think the other observations, and to, to sort of put these together, what I did was I just went through um, my Twitter for the season because I think it's a, a useful contemporaneous record of, uh, of feelings at the time. Um, that you can then reflect on um, go looking back and, and, and then draw some conclusions. So for me, um, the other things that came out, injuries, uh, not talked about a great deal, actually, but if you contrast our injury profile to the last couple of seasons with Pellegrini, I think we have to give some credit somewhere. And I don't know where, where the credit lies, but... Those ridiculous number of injuries, uh, uh, muscle strains uh, across the squad that we suffered, particularly last season, that disrupted the season to an incredible degree. Uh, you know, I think it was great that we seem to have ironed those out. Uh, and I don't know whether it's training, I don't know whether it's diet, don't know what, I don't know what it is, but definitely, uh, and I'm, I'm sure I haven't just imagined it, there was a, a big improvement in that. And that's a very positive thing because I think we were blind uh, or stubborn to the fact that it was occurring. Uh, I remember Pellegrini on a number of occasions talking about luck. And I don't believe it's luck when you have numerous soft tissue, is soft tissue issues. Um, 
unfortunately sounding like that Raymond bloke, but uh, it doesn't seem like luck to me and it looks like they have addressed it. So that I think is very positive and credit to uh, Pep and his team for that. Uh, ego and mentality was my next heading. And uh, I reflected on this particularly in light of the Juve and Real Madrid game. And I think we have to admit that, that um, and we talked about it during the season, but we have to admit the players do seem to have uh, a lack of absolutely elite mentality. And I think it's been talked about both by Pep and by uh, Marty in that podcast. And I think on that interview that Pep's done today on Catalan Radio, the players need to believe, uh, and the club, I guess, to reflect a bit of what Damo said, the club need to believe they are an elite team and they are at the at the top of the game. I think that will help this preseason in terms of the signings that they make. But I think that we showed last season and, and actually over the last two or three seasons that there's a deficiency in our levels of belief, in ego. I think we've created a team of very similar personalities. Um, and I think to make that next step, we will have to find those top-tier players um, that have um, a, a just an absolutely elite mentality and a belief. And I think, you know, Juve... Um, and Real Madrid have it in buckets, and you would you can understand why Real in particular would. But Juve, to an extent, get it from the players that they buy, their mix of experience and youth, and of course being one of the biggest clubs uh, within their league. Uh, you know, I, I get that you can't you can't underestimate how big a club Juve are. But when you bring in some of the players that they brought in that then work, uh, the Alveses, the Evras. Um, uh, you know these sort of players. You know, maybe we maybe we don't bring in the right sort of experience to to blend with the squad that we've got. Um, and I think there's a big question mark at the moment over over our overall uh, club ego and mentality. So we talk a good game, but on the pitch, I still feel as though we're we're, we're fragile in the season. Um, looking then more specifically, uh, the debate around taking chances versus defending well, uh, I don't buy that it's taking chances. Uh, in my view, it's very clearly uh, a mixture of both our inability to take chances and also our inability to defend well. Too many games uh, were, were evident where we where we failed to defend simple situations, conceded early easy goals. Uh, and particularly given the situation we had with the goalkeeper, we were soft. It got better towards the end. No surprise there when company comes back into the team and Willie plays rather than Bravo. But it is definitely something that we need to develop if we're going to win the league. When you look at what Chelsea did, the efficiency in which they operated in, the contrast between us and them was massive. However, the flip side of that is that you get some incredible performances. So I think we have to uh, accept that uh, whilst we had those appalling performances at Liverpool away, Leicester away, and to an extent Spurs away, and I know uh, I seem to remember how we didn't think Spurs away was that bad. I thought it was pretty poor. We did also have some of the best football that I can remember, I think, uh, you know, in uh, what 35 years of watching the team. I think we had some of the best. Uh, first half United, second half Barcelona, 
Everton as a whole, I think that's one of the most extraordinary games I've ever seen. Uh, Chelsea, first half, 60 minutes. You know, these are some absolutely top-tier attacking performances uh, and does bode well if we can correct um, the execution of those of those chances uh, and also the defending. A um, couple of final things, because uh, I did say I was going to talk for five minutes and I've ended up doing a 20-minute uh, rant. 16, uh, be fair. Okay, good. Uh, I've not finished yet. Um, <laughs> so... A couple of final things. Erratic team selections. Uh, I can't say I understand what was going on. Now, I think I think if you premise it with the failure of the preseason, so that a squad is not good enough, it can excuse some of the things that happened during the season. Uh, some of the, I mean, you call some of the decisions indecision for, for a different manager. So we, I think we always have this habit of giving Pep the benefit of the doubt in terms of oh, you know, there must be some kind of Jedi mind trick to why he's uh, picking, doesn't pick Yaya until November and then plays him every week and then all of a sudden stops playing him. Why he starts playing Navas in April, having not played him all season. Why he plays Nolito to December and then not at all ever again. Uh, Why Sterling is man of the season until, player of the season until, I don't know, March and then barely kicks a ball from March to May. We give Pep the benefit of the doubt, I think. I think it's more likely that it was about the squad being ill-prepared for the season. Um, now, I think that's being generous. Uh, otherwise, frankly, I think a lot of those team selections were, were just bizarre. Um, and it will be interesting to see what happens when we've got uh, a stronger uh, 15 to 20 players than we had this season, whether that kind of bizarre mixing of teams continues, whether the players that we perceive to be the fringe players and the players that really shouldn't be playing at all continue to play, or whether it was just about the nature of the season. So I'll be watching closely for that uh, going forward. Um and the final thing was just uh, just going through Twitter. The the interesting thing about those early or home form really, and the early goals we conceded at home. I think if you're going to win the title, you've got to have a fantastic home form. I think you can drop very very few points, um, and because if you drop points in the sorts of games we drop points um, this season, in the first half of the season in particular at home it makes it almost impossible to win the league because the games you've then got to go and win um, become extremely difficult. So, you know, drawing against Everton, drawing against Middlesbrough, uh, losing to Chelsea when we're totally dominant, uh, Southampton draw, you know, all of these games in the first half of the season mean that you've got to pick up a huge number of points in the second half of the season, including in games away from home against the big clubs. Uh, and we have to deal with that and we have to learn lessons uh, from what happened this season. Um, I'm not sure that there's, I think it's a combination of reasons that we've talked about already um, and that I've listed above. Um, but but essentially it needs to be fixed because to win the league, you've got to have fantastic home form. So those are my observations. I'm over to uh, to the panel. Wow. Okay. Um I think the thing that I want to start with is all, 
a lot of that I agree with. Some of it I don't agree with, but the thing that's kind of stuck in my head and the thing that I want to ask you about is the thing that you touched upon about mentality, um, because it's something that Marty touched upon as well in the interview that I did with him. Do you not think that if there is this kind of overarching kind of issue with the with the mentality of of the squad as a whole, that if uh, I guess what I'm trying to I'm trying to turn your negative into a positive because I feel as though you kind of did that in your review because I feel as though if you kind of if you start off by going the squad wasn't good enough. And then you continue by saying, not only is the squad not good enough, but what kind of key components within that squad are mentally weak. And on top of that, there's still a huge gap to be bridged between where we are and where Real Madrid are or where Juventus are or where Bayern yeah, Munich are. Yeah, yeah. So, so for me, the, the key here is that it's a twofold problem because it's not just a case of the mentality of the players that are leaving is not good enough. One of the biggest problems I feel is that mentality, even of our best players, is not right. But so, I'm sorry, I want to interrupt you because I think it's important. You're absolutely right. But then you were, and I'm not having a go at you, but my understanding is that one of Guardiola's biggest issues with Aguero was that mentally he's not a top player, that he's not motivated in the way that, or the top, he's not going into that dressing room. He's not Suarez. He's not going to go into to City's dressing room and go, we go out in that second half and we win this game of football. That's not him. No, that- I know, but I'm not talking about that. If you look at big games, I think I think Aguero is not a problem in those big games. I don't think he does shrink, but I'm not, t- I'm not talking about every player having to have a big ego and being a big shouty leader. I don't think that's what, no, but that, that's not the mentality. answer. You need a winning mentality. You can't tell me Aguero doesn't have a winning mentality. I didn't say that, but the question I'm asking you is how do you define what is that winning mentality? Well, I think part part of it is not, you can't define it necessarily because Yaya Torre doesn't have the best mentality in my mind. And yet he's clearly a world, you know, he's been everywhere. He's won everything. He's clearly an unbelievable player and a legend, whatever that means for the club yet do I think he's got the right level of ego and mentality that we're talking about no I think it's flawed um so I don't I don't think you can specifically define it and I think you need a blend so you need the companies of this world to go with the Agueros of this world but also to have I, I think you know a player you probably got a bit of space in your squad for a player like a Ronaldo or Ibrahimovic you know, a big ego maniac, uh, a bit about himself, of course, but also a figurehead for the team. Uh, I think it's about blend, and I don't think we've had the blend right. And I think we've spent actually quite a lot of time over the last few years removing any personality from the dressing room. And I can understand why you would do that in the case of a Tevez, to an extent, or a Balotelli. But I, I understood it less when we got rid of some of the other players who were showing... Uh, who who were at the core of that dressing room. Now, I don't know all the stories, you know, and there's always these stories that come out afterwards about these players. But to me, we created a very quiet, nice squad of players. And I think you need a mix. And uh, and that, and I think that's what, I think to me, that's what I'm hearing uh, 
that they're looking to do. And I think it will help if you sign players of the stature of um, of Sanchez, uh, Bernardo, you know, Silva is probably not not at that level. Mendy's probably not at that level, but Walker might be. These sorts of players who have fabulous self confidence, but also you know, have, have a desire and a personality that will take the club to the next level. Now, my only point more generally in terms of particularly Juve is whether there are players, uh, probably more experienced players, that could bring something to the squad. And I know you, you know, you've mentioned um, Pepe as an example. You know, maybe he's the right sort of mentality. I, I don't know. I'm speculating. But I think it's a blend. I don't think we've got the blend right at the moment. No. Um, Howard? Uh, totally different question. Oh, very quickly then. So do you think, you know, you mentioned Hart, getting rid of Hart. Do you think we think that ties into what you've just said? Because I think he's one to rouse the, uh, and I have i don't know why he truly left either. You know, I'm not sure we all, any of us truly do, but you hear stuff about it being his attitude and stuff, and but one that attitude a positive in that dressing room. If you've got a quiet dressing room, you don't think Hart would have helped there? Well, I, I, I think so, but I thought that in the summer for England, you know, I didn't know what that nonsense fuss was about. Was it this summer or the season before? You know, what was that nonsense where he was uh, trying to G everybody up and trying to G himself yeah. up and he got massively slaughtered for it? Okay, oh, yeah. he didn't have a good game, but I mean, you know. Well, that's well, it the, wasn't... You've hit the nail on the head there, though. You can't have, if you're not an elite player, being like that is not going to work. You can't go into a dressing room with eight, nine, ten top world-class players be the sixth or seventh, maybe the eighth best player in the team and then turn around and start dishing out bollocking. I'm I'm, I'm not convinced. Well, well, there's two different things. I mean, one's dishing out bollocking. One, one, first of all, Hart is absolutely, in my view, and you can disagree and lots of people will disagree, in my view, Hart is absolutely a player at the level of the rest of our squad. Uh, Now, he's not the best player, but you're talking about a guy that's got X number of golden gloves, has got a huge number of uh, caps, a huge number of clean sheets, has played absolutely fantastically well at the highest level for us in, in big European games, has been unbelievable. Now, we can all sort of, you know, revise uh, history in relation to Hart, and we don't, people don't have to rate him as the best goalkeeper in the world, but... Uh, let's not also go completely overboard. The guy was a very good goalkeeper for us. Oh, no, I mean, I and therefore, that, but no, and therefore, I do think he's, he's entitled to be a personality in the dressing room. So uh, dishing out bollockings is a different matter. Clearly, a guy that's playing uh, crap shouldn't be the guy that's, that's giving everybody a bollocking. But, uh, you know, I don't, think that's what, I don't think that's what he was doing. No, you I know. see what you say. I guess what I'm trying to get at is that I feel as though you need to lead by example um, I think if we're going to talk about leadership, right, then you, then for me, particularly within the context that we're talking about leadership, because we're talking about mentality and we're talking about what goes on in those big games in crunch moments. Um, I think you need to lead by example in those moments. And I think to lead by example, you need to be a world-class player. You know, you can't, Yeah, but you can't have an entire squad of world-class players. And nor are we just talking about leadership. I'm I'm not talking about leadership. That's why we're so desperate to sign Sanchez, because I think that he brings the mentality that we're talking about. We're we're talking about the the, the, the kind of perfect marriage 
of elite level talent, but the elite mentality, the elite hunger to be able to go out, whether you're playing Stoke or you're playing Juventus, to play your game in exactly the same way and to play with the... Yeah, I mean, I just, I, I feel as though a lot of, you know, like another thing that you said, Stefan, which I think is interesting, it's, is this whole idea of, well, we seem to be a bit quick to excuse Pep. Well, no, like Guardiola's not even been in charge for 12 months. So in terms of making excuses, any manager who comes to a new football club in their first season, they get excuses made for them and they're entitled to have excuses made for them because they are a new manager and it does take a little bit of time, whether it's Guardiola or it's Mourinho or it's Klopp or it's Pochettino, whoever it is, unless, you, unless you're literally walking into Bayern Munich yeah. Or no, no, but I wasn't making that point. I don't mean it in that way. I think Pep's got the right balance generally of criticism, but also um, uh, time. I, I, I don't feel as though th- there's a problem there. The point okay, I was cool. making about Pep was really around. Um, we, we, it's not about forgiving, but we kind of rationalise some of the odd erratic team selections because Definitely. we kind of think that he's working on another level. Well, it might just be more simple. It might just be either he's got it wrong, and that's possible, or it might be that he just thinks his squad is, frankly, so far away from being good enough that it doesn't really matter whether he plays Navas at fullback or Zabaleta at fullback. It's kind of, they're both ill-fitting, and they both won't work, so it kind of makes no difference either way, or it's a very tiny difference. Yeah, look, I think... I, I, you know, go on. I, I, no, no, I think... I think, I think Marty... It was interesting what Marty said about with the switch to three at the back, Right. In terms of effectively, he said the switch to three at the back was more than anything about the realization that the fullbacks really, really, really aren't good enough. And Pep really, really, really needed a different way to play. And I feel as though once that three at the back failed, almost everything for the rest of the season was Pep trying to figure out how to clean up the mess that last summer's transfer window had left. So whether you've got Navas at right back or Fernandinho at right back or Fernandinho at left back in in big games, those were all, for me, I completely agree with you. I, I feel as though it was Guardiola kind of reaching, trying to find a solution. And you're right that we did spend a lot of time rationalising it because it's Pep in that way of kind of looking at it as it's as if it's a kind of very well thought out, pre-planned, you know, like a stroke of genius. When in actual fact, he was just trying to figure out how to basically play without using those three or four guys who were over 30 who he went into the season with. I I don't think he was just fullbacks. I I think by the time we got to, I don't know, October, November, whatever it was, when when we kind of figured out that it wasn't going to be the walk in the park that we'd hoped, I think a lot of the season then was about uh, papering over the cracks because I think there was a realization that we we couldn't we couldn't do it from where we were in terms of the squad that we built at the start of the season and that you you can't you you know January wasn't the answer because you just can't sign the volume and quality of player that we needed so they just basically had to say okay. 
we are where we are. We've got to deal with it. And, you know, we'll, we'll deal with it as best we can in the summer. And let's make sure we have a fantastic summer. And then next year will we'll be the season. Now, I'm hoping that that's where what, what their th- thoughts were. And it's certainly from the way that they're acting and the way that they're talking and the, and the rumours, that's what it looks like. Um, so let's can see. I, can I ask you my original question then? <laughs> I, <never laughs> I, was gonna, I was just about to say, Howard, can you, you can ask your original question then. I'll stop what? interrupting. <laughs> what would you say to my theory that, I mean, you went on about our transfers, you know, our buying last summer, and I, I can't disagree with any of it. I, I would, I'm with you on heart. I don't think he's world-class, but I don't think it was the right time. And obviously the fullback thing's obvious. What would you say, though, that it's our selling? It's what <laughs> Our record is selling is just as bad as our buying, and that's what's hindering us as much. Because we're self-sufficient after all now. We still have financial fair play. We run at a profit. If we want to buy more players, we have to bring play. Yeah, we've got a lot of players out there that are never going to play for us again. And I just, uh, yeah. think, I just, think, I just think we're going to go through. I was said an earlier pod we should get 100 million out. I argued with Asan with this. He thinks we get 25 from Mangala. I will absolutely <laughs> run down the high street naked if we and no one wants that. If we get anywhere over 20 million pounds, I just get the feeling that we don't know how to sell players. Do, do you think I can't, that's I can't understand problem? it. I mean, you know, you know. I mean, the Lito, I, sorry. Sorry if I put it, it's just the Lito. It's like, well, if he's going, sell him to someone. But I just know we're going to be loaning him out, aren't we, in two it's weeks? It's just, it's inexplicable. I mean, it really is. I, I, I don't know what the, I don't buy it's about wages, right? We're no. not, we don't even have the biggest wage bill. And, and it's, you know, we're not negotiating these I don't deals. Want to, I don't mean to butt in, but I want to do a separate podcast purely about outgoing players this summer right um and i think that- it's also not a review of the season it's a review of the last three or four years yeah, i mean I, I, no but you know, I mean, it's an interesting conversation howard you it's a fair question to ask but i just feel as though we're going to end up going into a conversation that i actually want us to have like us as in literally us three yeah. just on a different podcast just about but what happens this summer that's fine although just one very one quick point because i've mentioned it before anyway i felt we so we bought Jesus and Sane probably maybe a year ahead of when we wanted to to stop others pl- uh, buying them and that may have hindered us buying fullbacks. Not that it's an excuse, but if we'd got rid of some of the players last year, like Nazri and Hart, if if you didn't want them, we could have done both anyway. So I don't think so. You know, I think from what I took from the conversation that I had with Perrineau about what happened with the fullbacks last summer is that. See, I think uh, in a way, in hindsight, I think Stefan's right. I think they had a terrible transfer window last summer. And I think the reason they had a terrible transfer window is that their top two targets in central defence knocked them back. And they couldn't land a single fullback target that they wanted. That's, That's kind of how Marty said it. He more or less said that they tried to sign three different fullbacks last summer but couldn't. So whether that's a process of identifying the wrong targets or a process of not doing the work earlier on, or simply just a case of being messed around by agents, whatever the, whatever the reasoning was, I think that the reality is that they tried last summer. It wasn't a money thing or a moving players out as much as 
They just messed it up. They didn't get it done. They didn't. I don't think. Yeah, I don't. I think that's absolutely right. But I don't think they prioritised fullbacks at the level they should have prioritised it, given what we had and given the importance within, you know, that Pepsi is for fullbacks. I just think they got it wrong. I think. I think they. I think they screwed it up, and we'll never know exactly how they screwed it up. But you know, or whose fault it was. It, I mean, it almost certainly wasn't Pep's fault, um, and yet he had to deal with the fallout from it. Um, but it was a big, it, it was a, a critical element, and I, I, I think I think Howard's point is well, you know, that budget part of it and the money part of it, it becomes a different argument if you've brought in. 150 million quid selling off your old players that you know you've got no use for versus actually getting zero through the door because you can go and pay the extra 10 million quid you know in the van dyke situation you can go and say well you know what i don't think he's worth 60 but frankly i've just got 10 million more than i thought i was going to get for nazri mangala one of these players i can just do it you know i'm, I'm going to take it as a i'm going to take the hit on on the buy and i'm not going to take the hit on the sale and it, as it was, we've taken massive hits on the sales because we can't sell a single player. Mm. I mean, Boney, I mean, we're going to give Boney a free transfer. Oh, I mean, yeah. it's going to be ridiculous. And Mangala, I'm sorry, Mangala's only going for 15 max, but oh, the only thing I say in City's defence is the big players, the players who would have got big money for and made money on, none. I don't think any have ever wanted to leave, have they? I don't think we've sold a player. Well, willingly, have we? I can't think of anyone who's demand. I mean, Tevez, maybe. I don't know. Botan. But the spine of all stayed, you see. That's why we've not made... You know, if the Guerrero had wanted to go two years ago, obviously we'd have got a good 60 million and so on. But it's the, the lesser players that we just can't seem to get rid of. Yeah, but that's, other, I think teams, that's other really... teams seem to be able to. I don't just don't get it, to be honest. But... I think there's two different tiers to outgoing transfers, and that's kind of what I want to do in that podcast, yeah. is just talk okay. about like the difference between... What happens when, you know, and I think it's a it's a problem that, that a lot of big clubs face is what do you do when you've got a player who's surplus to requirements? Um, because I think it's a little bit different kind of lower down. I think because it's not as obvious when a player becomes surplus to requirements. I think at big clubs, it's a lot more obvious. Look, just to wrap this up, Stefan, I want an optimistic note out of you to, to, to kind of round this up. Uh, and I think the only way I'm going to get that is is really by focusing on if you look at the targets that we have got lined up, and I'm not talking, so I'm talking very simply about the ones that I feel are the most likely. So the two that are done, Silver and Aderson, and then Mendy, Walker, Bertrand, and Alexi Sanchez. If those players come through the door, how do you feel about going into next season? Oh, yeah, we're, we're going to be very, very close, aren't we? I mean, you know, we should really be winning the league with that with that squad. I don't I don't believe this thing about us having the best squad for, for some time. I just don't, I, I haven't believed it was true. I didn't believe it was true this season. Uh, but, but with the players that you've just named, it certainly would be true. Uh, I still think Sanchez is going to be difficult. I still think that we're going to have the kind of timing difficulties that inevitably follow from a from buying from Spurs. So I think that's going to be slightly disruptive. But if we get those players and then you ally it to the players, particularly the attacking players that we've got, I mean, it's a phenomenal set of attacking players. Uh, if you can somehow keep 
Vincent Company fit. Um, we're going to be very, very close. Uh, and that not, I don't just mean in the Premier League. No, I agree. I, I, I completely agree. Um, wonderful. Uh, Howard, thank you very much. You're welcome. I'm sorry I butted in twice when you were trying to ask a question. That yeah, must... so rude. I'm gonna let you. I'm gonna <laughs> let you host my review, so then you can butt in when I'm talking. <laughs> and, and I will. <laughs> yeah, I know you will, Stefan. Thank you very much as always. Cheers. Uh, thanks to everybody who listened. Um, look out! There will be a couple more season reviews coming. Uh, mine, obviously, and uh, Mr. Lloyd Scrag. And in the meantime, uh, thanks for listening. As always, if you like what we do, go to iTunes, hit subscribe, check out the website, 9320.com. We'll be back very soon.